Welcome to the Humanity Matters broadcast. I'm Dr. Philip Fletcher, your host, where we discuss and reflect on theology, philosophy, nonprofit leadership, and social justice. This is the podcast where we wrestle with the important question, what does it mean to be human? Philip Fletcher and... Uh, going to be asking, answering, not asking, answering some questions that were sent in to me today. Uh, the reason I do this is so that you can get to know me better, get to understand um, why I say some of the things that I say, give me some insight into uh, my life, things that I believe, uh, so on and so forth. So I have some questions that were sent in. And I'll be interacting with those. But also, if you've got a question that you just want to drop in the message section, do that as well. And we'll seek to tackle those. We'll take about the next hour, about 1230, 1245, so 45 to an hour, just to answer questions. How are you doing, Mary? How are you doing, Jonathan? Uh, Before we get started, just a couple of uh, events coming up for my nonprofit, the City of Hope Outreach. Um, we've got our uh, community lunches coming up this Sunday at Oakwood. It's at the Hope Home, uh, 604 East Robbins. If you want to come out, you know, bring a dish and just have a good meal with uh, guys from the house, people from the community, as we just seek to build relationships around good food and have good conversation. And that's from 12 p.m. to 2 p.m. What's going on, Ed, Jonathan? Hey, brother, good to talk to you. Good to see you, man. Uh, Next Saturday is our uh, annual fall classic with the Conway Advocates for Bicycling. That's going to be at Grace United Methodist Church. That is uh, next Saturday, the 21st. So if you'd like to ride a bike, uh, get a good 20, 40, or 60 miler in, hey, come out, be a part. It's a great fundraiser, two great organizations. As well, uh, in October, we've got our annual community carnival, and then we've got our annual fundraiser, which is the fall, uh, which is the gala. And so, if you would like to be a sponsor, uh, buy tickets, be looking forward to that. And then on Friday, uh, November first, uh, we're going to have a concert. It's called the Hope Shows. It's going to be held on Friday, November first, seven p.m. at the House on the South. Uh, and I'll be posting that link on my Facebook, sharing that event as well. And uh, this is a fundraiser for our Hope Village uh, project. And if you don't know our Hope Village project, I would encourage you to go to our uh, initiative website, hopevillagecoho.org, where you can learn more about the project and how you can be a part of that and join in and help us build homes Uh, for the homeless, for vets, and for those who are in need. I've told people, and it's a reality, that this requires money. It does. And we can be the solution uh, to this uh, problem. We can be the solution. We don't have to wait for anybody else, but that we uh, who are living here in Conway, if we have an issue about homelessness, tired, want a solution, uh, then it's going to require us to uh, put some dollars behind it. But I think that we can all come together. I've got a great committee 
I just want to thank uh, Wayne Cox. I want to thank Reverend J.J. Whitney. I want to thank Nicholas and Samantha Hewitt, Claudia Fountain, uh, my Hope Home Director, John Leland, uh, who are a part of leading this effort. And so there it is. So with that, we're going to jump into questions. So you can pick my brain. And again, I've got some questions that have been sent in to me. But if you've got a question, go ahead and post it here and I will do my best to answer it. I see Jay, Dr. McDaniel, he's posted a question. Uh, what's going on, Frank? What's going on, Miss Mann? What's going on, Evelyn? Hi, what's up? And so uh, we'll take Jay's question first. What song from my youth inspired me to do what I do? Uh, well, I got a lot of great songs from my youth. One is a whole album. And I would encourage everybody to go listen to it. It is uh, Marvin Gaye's What's Going On. Uh, that was a great album. My parents would play it for me uh, when it was time for me to go to bed. And uh, that has just stuck with me. So it's got some great songs on there. God is Love, obviously What's Going On, Mercy, Mercy Me, uh, Inner City Blues, so on and so forth. And so a lot of great uh, songs from that area, era. Uh, a lot of some other songs more recent uh, Jards of Clay has got a song uh, that is uh, very um, introspective the title skips me right now Oh My God that's what it's called Oh My God uh, there's another song called Abilene uh, and the refrain in that song is now that I have seen I am responsible and so I've seen a lot uh, I've seen a lot of people who are in need heard a lot of stories about persons who are in need, uh, people who have cried, people who have been angry about situations, um, things done to them, and even things that they have done, and they're seeking to rectify that. And so now that I have seen or heard or felt, experienced, I am responsible. So for the last 12 years, uh, primarily through my nonprofit, the City of Hope Outreach, I'm demonstrating what it looks like to answer that responsibility. Uh, so, hey, Crystal. Hey, Carol. Hey, hey, Zeus. What's going on, Derek? It's good to hear from you. And so that's the answer to uh, your question, Jay. So we're going to tackle some of these other questions that have been sent in to me. Now, as I answer these questions, these questions have come to me. So I'm just going to take them uh, as they come. Uh, you're going to get some more insight into what I think, ultimately what I believe about things. Um, if you want me to clarify anything, we can do that as well. Uh, Evelyn, if you got uh, a concern, why don't you inbox me, and that way I can better uh, assist you, okay? Uh, what's going on, Joe? What's going on, uh, Steve? Good. Good to hear from you. So uh, question number one. What are your real feelings on Donald Trump? OK, so my real feelings on President Donald Trump. President Donald Trump is the 45th president of the United States. Uh, constitutionally, he is the head of the executive branch. You know, there's three branches of government, the executive, the legislative, 
uh, and the judicial. You know, the executive is the president. Uh, the legislative is made up of the House of Representatives and the Senate, and the judicial is, you know, the Supreme Court. You know, it's at the federal level, and then it, you know, goes down from there. Uh, so my feelings about Donald Trump. So I want to answer this in a variety of ways. What's up, Pooby? What's going on, Michelle? Uh, one, as a person, Donald Trump is not someone that I would hang out with. Uh, his demeanor, uh, the way he communicates, the way he talks about people, um, that is not an environment that I would want to be around. That would not be someone that I would want in my inner circle or even, you know, this circle, you know, we may slap a high five. I may just, you know, give a what's up. But besides that, uh, his personality is not one that I would uh, want to be around on a daily basis. Uh, I don't know how he treats his, his wife and his kids. I am a I'm going off the assumption, since they're still around, uh, that they have a pretty reasonable relationship. You know, every relationship has its ups and downs. uh, But needless to say, that's their relationship. Uh, What's going on, Jerry? What's going on, Nick? What's going on, John? Hope everybody is well. Uh, Now, um, so I hope that answers how I feel about him personally. Uh, How I feel about him as a leader I his leadership skills are are lacking as it comes to leading this nation. Our nation is very diverse. It's made up of obviously a variety of ethnicities, uh, political persuasions. It's very diverse. Um, You know, as a leader, you want to be able to influence a large group of people, all right, and move that people in the same general direction. Leadership is about influence. Power is about influence. So he has power. He is a leader. And uh, by virtue of his position constitutionally as the president of the United States, he has a responsibility to use that power, use that influence in a way that moves the maximum amount of persons forward. Now, granted, understand that as a leader, you're not going to always have everybody on your team. There are going to be people who are just not going to be with you. There are going to be some people that's going to kind of push and pull uh, because they see something in you. They have hopes uh, for themselves and for others. And then you've got those that are just going to be down for you regardless of what you do. Now, this man on his campaign trail and in office has said things where you just got to put your hand, you just be like, oh my gosh, for real? And so his leadership skills are very rough. I understand he comes from the business sector. Uh, I understand, uh, you know, where he grew up in, you know, that New York area, Uh, uh, that personality, uh, that way of doing things, that way of communicating, um, is, is different than other areas of the country. And so I take that in consideration. But he has the responsibility to take in consideration as well the, the position of his office, uh, the weight of his office, 
um, the gravity of his words and what he says and what he tweets, obviously, and how that impacts uh, the direction of our country. Okay, so his leadership, uh, if he doesn't have a leadership consultant, um, he needs to get one um, and be humble enough to hear uh, the advice, the coaching of that leader uh, so that we could all benefit from it. Now, how do I feel about Donald Trump constitutionally? So address you know, him as a person, then as a leader, now in his constitutional office as president of the United States. Constitutionally, um, he hasn't done anything wrong. Now, we can go, you know, we can look at, uh, you know, his immigration policies, uh, his ideas about health care, the more recent thing regarding weapons, uh, with the recent shootings that have been going on. Um, We can look at his criminal justice reform and how uh, one of his representatives, Jared Kushner, and um, a former uh, CNN reporter, I forget his name right now, it's a black guy, uh, worked with President Obama a lot, um, you know, criminal justice reform. So constitutionally, President Donald Trump hasn't done anything impeachable. No high crimes or misdemeanors. Now, I know people want to bring up, you know, the whole thing about uh, the elections and Russia, so on and so forth, but... You know, uh, the report came out and uh, it said no collusion. Now, the obstruction thing, there was wishy-washy on that. But as far as collusion, uh, that was pretty much Mueller. That was his name. Mueller pretty much put that to bed. So why we keep bringing that up, I have no idea. Um, So ultimately, did I vote for President Donald Trump? No, I did not. Will I vote for him again? No, I will not. Uh, because at the end of the day, uh, while he has upheld his constitutional responsibilities up to this point, uh, as a leader um, for the nation, I don't think he's an effective leader. Is he an effective leader for those that voted for him? Sure. Well, of course. Uh, but is he an effective leader for the nation? And when I say the nation, regardless of your political party, regardless of your ethnicity, so on and so forth, uh, I think he has uh, been weighed and found wanting. So that is that question. All righty. So hello, Jordan. What's up, Queen? Hello, Marvin. Just doing a... Ask Dr. Phil, fill my thoughts, type Friday. If you've got a question, just post it in the comment section. I'm answering questions that have come uh, in my email. And the next question is going to take another one. Uh, What did you learn in a failure? So I think failure is critical for the human experience. I think in failure... We have the opportunity to understand more about ourselves. Uh, In failure, we have an opportunity to understand more about the people that are around us. Uh, And it gives us an opportunity 
to do some self-reflection and be like, hey, what can I do differently moving forward? I posted earlier this week that um, I like to take risk and, and risks are important because it gives uh, an opportunity to demonstrate a level of courage, uh, a level of, of, of faith, and you got to put in some work and it may or may not happen. And I've had more failures than successes. And at 46 years old now, I am very content because in my failures, whether they've been with staff members, whether they've been with plans that I've had, big ideas that I've, I've had, things that I've, I wanted to do that have fallen flat, I've learned from them. Like, what's some things that I've wanted to do? Like, I wanted to build uh, a large park uh, near Oakwood. Didn't happen. Couldn't raise the money. Uh, another failure uh, early on was collecting water for people in Oakwood. It got put on the news and had a, uh, a pretty good argument with the landlord because it wasn't presented correctly. Um, failure, you know, I've had staff members leave because of disagreements and, um, you know, I had to learn from those and uh, continue to move forward. So failure is a great tool. I don't think that we should uh, run from failure. I think that uh, in our current culture, uh, and I'm speaking to parents now, I think it's very important that you make sure that your kids experience failure. Why? Because they need to know how to respond. And um, one of the greatest times for kids to experience failure is when they're still at home, uh, when they are still in uh, they have this safety net where, you know, if they fall on their face, they can come back, you know, to mom and dad, you know, cry, yell, boohoo, all of that good stuff and, uh, you know, move forward. So if you are struggling with something and you think you're about to fail, it's OK. Learn from it. It's going to make you a better person in the long, long run. Um, it's going to strengthen you. It's going to give you. Uh, the fortitude for that next event and eventually that number of failures that you're going to be standing on eventually it's going to become a platform in which you can raise your hands and said hey I succeeded so uh, that's where I learned about failure and more than likely I'm going to fail at something this month and it's going to be okay I'm going to write it down and I'm going to be excited about it so I hope that helps somebody Mm. All right. Next question. What do you think about the new Star Wars movie? Oh, my gosh. So if you don't know me, that was the first movie I saw. My dad, Philip L. Fletcher, took me to see Star Wars. And that was my Avengers back in the 1970s. And. Uh, from that point on, you know, Star Wars, A New Hope, Empire Strikes Back, Return of the Jedi, birthday, Christmas, anytime. That's all I wanted was like Star Wars toys. I've seen Star Wars, A New Hope more times than I think any other movie and Empire Strikes Back. Uh, and then I was excited when George Lucas did the prequels with Phantom Menace, Attack of the Clones and uh, Revenge of the Sith. I didn't feel... 
Phantom Menace that much. It got better. I really like Revenge of the Sith. And then when they came out with, when Abrams did Force Awakens and um, uh, I forget the director's name, did uh, The Last Jedi, and now we've got Rise of Skywalker coming out. I've been uh, about it. I don't think they honored the original three in Luke Skywalker, Han Solo, and Princess Leia. I understand uh, Han Solo wanted to be killed off, or Harrison Ford wanted Han Solo killed off in Return of the Jedi. A little bit of trivia. Uh, but So he got that honored in uh, The Force Awakens when Kylo Ren killed him. Uh, it was unfortunate that Carrie Fisher passed away. Um, and... Um, I don't know how I felt about Luke in The Last Jedi. You know, the hopeful Luke Skywalker that I grew up with um, and that I read in comic books and things like that. I didn't feel that Luke Skywalker in uh, The Last Jedi. So this Rise of Skywalker, I want to see how they wrap this up. I want them to, to like put a bow on this and part is now they're standing in the shadow of Endgame and I feel as if Endgame um, really put a good bow on 22 movies so they did a good bow on 22 movies Uh, you got 9 movies to put a good bow on and um, I'm hopeful that it will just be something where I stand and applaud or has me in tears. I saw Endgame and it had me in tears. The four times I saw it in the movie theater, it had me in tears. I own it at home. I still has me in tears. I want that same feeling with the rise of Skywalker. So um, I'm hopeful about the new Star Wars movie, the final Star Wars movie dealing with the Skywalker uh, history. And we're just hopeful about that. All right, so next question. In Africa, men will sometimes have more than one wife, okay? Do you believe these men should stay married to all of their wives, or should they be required to get divorced before being allowed to be a member in good standing at a local church? All right, so this is a very uh, intricate question here. So there are cultures uh, that support polygamy, all right? Person being married, having multiple wives, okay? Uh, That culture as it is, uh, prior to the introduction of, in the context of this question, Christianity, um, they have multiple wives. Now, I have to admit, like in the Old Testament, people had multiple wives. You know, Jacob had multiple wives. Yes, he did. So, uh, Uh, Rachel and Leah, as a matter of fact. And and from there, the 12 tribes of Israel. So, but cultures, in some of these cultures, they, they, uh, you know, polygamy is part of the culture. And there are reasons for that. Now, when Christianity, uh, through missionary work, through evangelism, comes into that culture, uh, what Christianity uh, brings is this principle that a man leaves his uh, father and mother and clings to uh, his wife. And so in that, 
is this principle that a man should be married to a woman. And this marriage, all right, is a is a a living sacramental example of Christ's relationship with the church. So Jesus ain't married to like multiple wives. He doesn't have multiple churches. He has one church. Um, and so from there we can explicate that since Christ has one bride, the church, a husband has one bride, his wife, all right, that as persons come into uh, the local church and the local church is honoring uh, this universal principle of Jesus having one wife being his church, then it stands to reason that that man should be married to one wife. Now, there's some consequences of this, all right? Because in some of these cultures, uh, these women are dependent on um, the uh, economic material uh, wealth of being married to that man, okay? So in in the manner of of justice, I think it is also uh, necessary for that man to set up each one of his wives in such a way that they are cared for, that they're not put out on the street, uh, that they're not left destitute, that they're not left in a situation where they have to fend for themselves. But that man, uh, by virtue of him being now a Christian, has the responsibility of setting up a situation in which his former wives are able to flourish as human beings. So I hope that answers that question. All righty. So we're doing Ask Dr. Phil. Fill my thoughts. If you've got a question, hey, just uh, post it. If not, I'm just going to run through the questions I've got. We've got um, this next one coming up. All righty. How can we arrive at a solution about guns? I'm tired that these politicians keep arguing and nothing changes. Guns. Sometimes you got to take a breath. Guns. So I got a lot of thoughts about guns. I got a lot of thoughts about weapons. I got a lot of thoughts about protection, self-defense as it relates to human beings. So let me start this way and work towards uh, the question. So every human being has the right to exist. Every human being conceived to the point of death has the right to exist. Part of the human experience is I don't want to use the word right because rights is such a recent term in Western civilization. Okay. Um, So every human being has is entitled, has the universal um, desire to exist. And when his or her life, uh, is backed into a corner, it feels uh, threatened, Um, that person, that human being, reacts. How they react uh, 
you know, is up to that person, depending on the degree of the uh, the threat that is coming to potentially in that life. Now, the means that that person uses, if we look throughout history, has changed. Rocks, sticks, sticks become spears. Rocks, metal, rocks and metal are brought together. Rocks and wood are brought together and make swords, spears, better spears, lances. You keep moving throughout history. Uh, we get the advent of, 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 of gunpowder. Okay. Uh, we get the advent of explosions. We get the advent of taking stone, combining them with gunpowder to make cannons, right? We get uh, the combination of wood and metal and gunpowder to make weapons. Weapons specifically being guns. So um, if we would look at the human experience across history and across cultures, different cultures, different groups of people have used different weapons to defend their personal lives, to defend their families, to defend their tribes, organized tribes, their nation, uh, to defend their property that belongs to them individually or their property that belongs to them collectively or the property land and resources that belong to the group, all right? Uh, The Native Americans were doing it, Uh, African tribes, Uh, tribes in South America, Central America, uh, groups in Asia, groups in Nordic countries. So the use of weapons and different types of weapons um, is common through the human experience across history and across culture. All right. What's unique about America is that in the Uh, Constitution of the United States that uh, it was codified in the Bill of Rights um, that there was to be the right to bear arms, that it wouldn't be infringed upon. But just a little before that, as establishment of a militia, the right to bear arms, it shouldn't be infringed upon. Okay? Now, that's coming out of context um, mirroring uh, a, a form of Bill of Rights in England, 1689. Somebody can check me on that. And so when you look at the, the documents, uh, specifically in America, and this discussion about the Second Amendment, you see this tug and this push and pull of what is described as the individual understanding of the Second Amendment and the collective understanding of the Second Amendment. Now, those who have an individual understanding of the Second Amendment Uh, would press for the right to bear arms for individuals to have weapons, all right, to protect themselves. Uh, A more collectivist perspective leans more, well, that what is meant by that is in order to serve in the militia. So as I've been reading the last couple of months just on the history of the Second Amendment, uh, one of the things I found was um, uh, George Washington 
uh, had mandated that every citizen was to buy a weapon in order to be in the militia. Uh, but even before that, the question I always had is, especially with the, dec- the, um, the War of Independence, where did the weapons come from? Like, where did they come from? Um, it, there wasn't coming from the government. Individual men, and I'm sure there were some women in there somewhere, were bringing their weapons from home to fight for the independence of the United for the the 13 colonies. I mean, there was no you know Smith and Wesson. There was no uh, contractors who, you know, their specific thing was to make military-grade weapons in order for these militias, these Minutemen, to fight against the British Army. These were weapons that were being brought from uh, people's homes, and then they were used in, in war, Okay. Now, as time went on, and as, you know, we got a standing army now, uh, we've got, you know, active duty soldiers, we've got National Guard, we've got Air Force and, and the Marines, and we've got the Navy, and we've got the Coast Guard. Uh, we've got a government now that contracts with industry to make weapons. Weapons, again, of what? Well, they're weapons. So, nine mils. Shotguns, 240 Bravos, 240 Coaxes, 50 Calibers, uh, mortar rounds, howitzers, uh, artillery, essentially. Um, all types of weapons. When I was in the military, I was trained on a variety of those weapons. Shooting tanks, shooting 50 cals, shooting 240s, shooting 9 mils. Uh, shotguns, so on and so forth. Okay? Uh, it came with the territory. Now, there are differences between uh, the weapons. Well, let me say this. There are weapons that are in the military that are just not available to the private citizen. But I also remember this. Uh, when Ferguson was happening, uh, there was a complaint that police... Uh, were using weapons that were only found uh, in uh, the military. Okay? And that's a whole separate discussion. Uh, but need, needless to say, those weapons were on the streets. Okay? Um, and so, what do we do with these weapons, specifically guns? I think one is that we have to have a proper communication about what types of guns we are talking about. And people need to be specific about what types of guns are they want addressed. Every gun is an assault weapon. That's what it is. It, it, a gun is an assault weapon. A knife is an assault weapon. A sword is a assault weapon weapon. A grenade is an assault weapon. Uh, A mortar is an assault weapon. Weapons are meant for that purpose. 
Every weapon is lethal. An effective weapon is lethal. So whether it is a fully automatic or a semi-automatic, whether it can shoot uh, one round at a time like a revolver or semi, uh, uh, semi-automatic, okay, like a nine mils, so on and so forth, or a fully automatic, their intent is lethality. A knife has lethality. A sword has lethality. All right. That is their intent. A car is not intended to be lethal. It's intended for transportation. A gun is meant for lethality. So I think we need to be clear on the intent of a gun is is to be lethal. Second, we need to ask ourselves, what types of guns are we talking about? Uh, last night, I saw a uh, presidential candidate, uh, Senator Beto, or he's not Senator, uh, Mr. Beto Arep, talk about, and I quote, hell yes, we're going to take your, you know, salt weapons. And I said, oh man, what a poor statement. Is it good clickbait? Yeah. Will it get some good discussion? Yeah, I'm talking about it. But, you know, he essentially stood up and said, hell yes, we'll take them. That That's... That was poorly said. Uh, It lacked wisdom. It lacks a plan. Um, Because I don't understand how you would execute said, well, taking of people's weapons like that. Solutions. So we need to understand that they're lethal. We need to understand what types of weapons. Um, I was listening to a discussion between Alyssa Milano and Senator Ted Cruz, and uh, they mentioned they want to take certain weapons away from certain people. Okay? So the question is, who are the certain people? I think we need to have that discussion as well. And if we're going to have this discussion about certain weapons and certain people, who gets to determine the certain weapons and the certain people. We can talk about uh, background checks and and universal background checks. We can talk about uh, extending, I guess, uh, the waiting period between applying to get a weapon, excuse me, a gun, and actually uh, receiving that gun. Uh, But what we have to do, and this is my contention, to this day that we can't have this discussion in emotion and it sucks that people lose their lives through shootings we have to have this discussion from a constitutional perspective that's what governs our country emotions don't Uh, the constitution does human experience doesn't because it's too subjective the Constitution does. So I don't, you know, I, I have, my solution is that the adults in Congress need to be adults and bring this up and ask, do we need to clarify the Second Amendment? Do we need to repeal the Second Amendment? Or does it need to stand the way it is? 
I think we need to have that hard discussion. Um, and so that's how I'll answer that question. So this is Dr. Phil, and we are uh, just interacting and answering questions. If you got a question, just post a comment, and I'll be glad to uh, chop it up with you. And so next question is this, and this is a specific question to Conway. What's the best way to help panhandlers in our city? Every day it seems like there are some of the same people. Yeah, so panhandling. This is what I encourage people to do. As you feel comfortable, as you feel led, I would encourage you to park your car at that Shell station right before the 40 exit on-ramp um, at that Valero right there on uh, Oak Street and get out and have a conversation with those persons, those panhandlers, and get to understand and know their situation. Uh, you can park at that CVS right there at the corner of Hark Rider and Oak Street, that Walgreens. Get out and have a conversation with the persons that are holding up signs. That's what I would ask you to do first. Get to know the person that is standing out there. Get to know his or her name. Get to know their situation, why they're standing out there. And then from there, you can ascertain what's the best way to help. You know, panhandling is nothing new. If you go back in the Bible, there was panhandling. If you look in the book of Acts, uh, Peter was... Uh, interacted with the the beggar at Solomon's porch and you know Peter makes the statement you know silver and gold have I not but such that I have that I will give you you know rise get up and walk you know so there's panhandlers in the first century there's panhandlers everywhere today so panhandling is nothing new I think what bothers us about panhandling is it it's a mirror into ourselves and into our society it is a mirror because us being in the quote-unquote wealthiest nation ever you know why do we have panhandlers here you know in conway we've got all these resources why why don't these panhandlers just go and access those resources i wish it was that simple some people don't know. Some people are just traveling through. Some do have made it a career. I'm not going to deny that. Uh, but the best way to help panhandlers, one, is to get to know them. Two, point them to the direction of agencies, organizations that can help them. All right? And then from there, they've got to make the choice. We can't force people. We have to be able to uh, lovingly interact with people, provide them uh, solutions, uh, and then and, and hope that they would access those solutions. And so that's how I would answer that question. All right, next question. Uh, can you explain the Planned Parenthood shirt? Ah, yes. 
So I have uh, this shirt that says uh, plan, and I'm quoting, Planned Parenthood has been more successful than the Ku Klux Klan. All right. Um, background, I am uh, consistently pro-life. And what I mean by that is from the moment of conception uh, to the moment of uh, death, the human life matters. Every human being, man, woman, and child, has dignity and worth. You know, and the more I think about that, especially in our culture, like there's a lot of talk about intersection, right? Intersection, right? I, I think about I, I I think about some of my brothers and sisters who who lean on uh, the pro-choice side, even some that lean on the infanticide without actually saying it. Um, you know, late-term abortions, so on and so forth. You know. I, you know, just to press the issue, is it just to abort a black person? Is it just to abort, you know, if you hold this, that people are born uh, LGBT, all right? Is it just to abort a human being who is LGBT? Is it just to abort uh, someone who is born in a impoverished circumstance. Is that just? We're looking at this, this, this intersectionality, right, of, you know, these several things. Is that just? Um, is it just to uh, abort a, a child who was being brought over across the southern border. You know, if it's not just for that child to be kept in a cage, quote unquote, is it also then not just, excuse me, if it's not just to abort the child, excuse me, if it's not just to keep a child in the cage, why would it be just to abort the child? That same child. What? What's the difference? More specifically to Planned Parenthood, uh, it was started in the early 20th century. Um, Planned Parenthood, in relationship to black Americans, black bodies, black males and females, has aborted over 18 million black bodies, beautiful black faces, potential to be entrepreneurs, presidents, senators, congressmen, husbands, wives, teachers, lawyers, whatever. They're gone. In a shorter period, the Ku Klux Klan lynched estimates about 3,600 black bodies primarily in the South. 18 million, about 3,600. Planned Parenthood has been more successful. Um, I say that without apology. I understand Ku Klux Klan, their role, 
in the diminishment and the death of black bodies on the basis of white superiority, on the basis of circumstance, on the basis that whiteness is more intelligent and more creative and more powerful and more quote unquote evolved. And yet, we don't have KKK centers set up in a lot of our urban areas where Planned Parenthood type centers. And so that is why I say that Planned Parenthood has been more successful than the Ku Klux Klan. Is it provocative? Yes. Is it provoke questions? Yes. Is it provoke insight? Yes. I will always err, err on the side of the right for a human being to live. Regardless of his or her circumstance, how they came in to existence, their right to live, regardless of their ethnicity, how they became or trying to become American citizens, interaction with police, their right to live so that they're not beat down by a spouse or a partner, the right to live. Um, and so uh, I would hope that we would all uh, come to a realization uh, that this culture of death uh, is just not acceptable and that we would choose a better way. All right. What else we got here? All right. Why don't you run for political office? Because I'm having fun doing what I'm doing. I love doing what I'm doing. Uh, nine. And actually, this is the last question. So, seems like you have very strong feelings about government and helping people. Do you see any benefit to government, especially what's going on in our schools in health? Uh, health, health care, I guess. Well, I am a, uh, I, I firmly believe that people can, uh, are the best resource to fix their problems, okay? Uh, I like the concept of subsidi subsidiarity, um, which posits that things can be done at the lowest level. And so what does it look like when people in Conway do things together or people in Arkansas do things together? Why? Because the situations and issues in Conway and Arkansas um, are unique and different than Texas or Tennessee or Louisiana or Mississippi, right? I think when government comes in and tries to just do this top-down, just drop it on approach, uh, it violates human agency, it violates subsidiarity, it violates our creativity and opportunity to shape uh, where we live. You know, education, um, you know, if government wants to have government education in the form of public schools, fine. But people should also be free without asking permission from the government to open charter schools, private schools, or homeschool. 
I don't see, you know, we homeschooled one of our daughters, but we had to go to public school to ask permission. I don't think I need to ask you permission to educate my child. If I want to put my child in your public school, you know, fine. Uh, but if I want to homeschool my child, that's none of the government's business. In regards to health and health care, and I know I, if I understand the question, you know, this, this growing discussion about uh, single-payer Medicare, uh, health care for all, uh, so on and so forth, um, you know, that kind of stuff makes me nervous. I'm a veteran. I see how the VA acts with veterans. And the VA is managing, like, this amount of people, and people are asking for the federal government to do health care for, like, this amount of people. Like, I, I, you know, one of the things I consider as well is, you know, the health concerns that are happening in Arkansas are not the same as in California. The health concerns that are in uh, Oregon are different than New York. The health concerns in South Dakota are different than the ones in Florida. They are for a host of reasons, demographics, lifestyle, you know, demographics as far as age, uh, you know, the type of work that is going on. Um, so a one size fits all approach, um, you know, it sounds good, uh, but the reality is everybody is going to have to pay more. Okay. Everybody. Um, that's just common sense. Everybody is going to have to pay more. And I would prefer that if Arkansas wants to have uh, state-run health care, that's Arkansas's right. If, te if Texas doesn't, you know, that's Texas's business. Um, if, you know, so on and so forth. 50 states, 50 different solutions, um, and the constituents determine that. Second is this. Uh, nowhere in the Constitution does it say that the federal government is supposed to mandate health care or education or a lot of other things that it's doing. Now, if it's happening at the state level, you know, that stuff is reserved to the states. But as far as the federal government goes, once again, I think if you want federally run health care, all right, which is funded by tax dollars, then I think a constitutional amendment uh, should be proposed. So those are my thoughts on that. So those are the questions, I think. Let me see, let me see, let me see. I think I hit them all. Yep, I hit them all. So I want to thank everybody for chiming in. I kept it uh, to, like I said, 45 minutes to an hour. 54 minutes, as a matter of fact. That's what the timer says. I will share this on my wall. And as always, remember to live in hope. Because when we live in hope, we can do the impossible. Uh, check out my nonprofit's website, coho58.org. Also, you can visit hopevillagecoho.org to learn more about Hope Village. Make a donation. Hey, like, subscribe, share, go over to City of Hope Outreach's Facebook page. Hey, like that as well. Like I said, we got a lot of great stuff coming up in the next three months, especially as we head into the holidays. 
a lot of opportunities for you to volunteer and be a part of what we're doing. And I love everybody here. You guys are amazing human beings. Remember to be kind. Remember to be generous to somebody this weekend. Say a kind word to somebody. Reach out to somebody who's different than you, who believes different than you in religion, who believes different than you in politics. Reach out to them and and be kind to them because in doing that, I believe we can do some great things. So you guys take care and God bless. This has been Humanity Matters, where we discuss and reflect on theology, philosophy, nonprofit leadership, and social justice. For more information, visit our website, philipfletcher.org, like us on YouTube at Humanity Matters, or subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Play. If we remember to live in hope, we can do the impossible.